All right. If you've got your Bibles, I'm going to invite you to go to the Gospel of Luke. We're going to be in Luke 10, uh, beginning with uh, verse 38 this morning. And if you're new to faith, uh, we are uh, in the middle of a sermon series called Blessed to be a Blessing, uh, Gifted to Give. And the idea, of course, is that God has blessed us, God has gifted us, uh, not just for our own personal edification, for us to just enjoy all the blessings of life, but God has given us these blessings, these gifts to share with others, to give away to others, uh, to use our gifts. And so we're, many of you have taken the uh, gift assessment and uh, there's a bunch of different gifts on there. And uh, so today we are looking at the, the gift of interpersonal skills or the, the, the blessing or the gift of uh, having uh, interpersonal. Uh, and I, I, one of the things I love about that image is uh, that it's a couple coffee cups. And you see those coffee cups and uh, my kids might say, Dad, that's all you do is you just sit with people and drink coffee. And you might think um, that I am gifted in this area. Uh, I am not. Uh, this is not my gift. Uh, I just think that this is a really important gift for pastors to have. And so I'm trying to grow in this gift. I'm trying to grow in this skill. Um, through the years, I have met uh, pastors who are awkward. Um, and if you've ever met a, an awkward pastor before, you know what I'm talking about. It's just like, it's kind of uncomfortable uh, to be with this pastor. And some of you are thinking, yeah, he's standing up there right now with a microphone, right? And so full disclosure, I, I know I'm awkward. I get it. Um, but I'm trying to grow in this area. And I think this is a gift, one of those interpersonal skills that's really important for all of us uh, to navigate through life uh, in, in our self-awareness um, and in the ways in which we are interacting with people around us. So according to the, the book, 10% um, uh, of you, that is your primary gift. You are an interpersonal guru. You are a Jedi as it relates to uh, being with people, being around people. People enjoy being with you. You help people to just kind of relax and just be like, ah. And you have that gift that it just invites people to lean into you. And they've got that gift of just drawing out um, who you are. And so we love to be around people who are gifted in this area. And interpersonal uh, gifts uh, on page 21, as the authors describe it, uh, help you to interact with care for and build relationships with others. And I think all of us can grow in this er area of interpersonal uh, skills, interpersonal gifts. And the person I'm going to talk about this morning um, is Mary. Mary, whose siblings were Lazarus and Martha. And we're going to look at that very familiar story uh, today through the lens of Mary's superpower, her gift of interpersonal skills. And I think one of the interesting things about this story is what comes out of Mary's mouth in the midst of, of all this. So uh, if you've gotten to, to Luke 10, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this new day, for this time, for an opportunity, God, to read a very familiar story to many of us and to just invite your Holy Spirit to dwell among us, to move among us, to encourage us, to challenge us, and invite us, God, to leave this place different than when we came. So God, may the words of my mouth, the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable, for you are indeed our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, in a couple weeks, 
my family, some people in my family and I will be traveling in central Italy. And on a particular day, we are scheduled to go to the village of Assisi and pay our respects uh, to a man who is pretty ordinary. He kind of grew up um, pretty ordinary like you and me. You would talk to him and you wouldn't really look at him and go, wow, this is really something special about him. He is super gifted. He is super talented. He was just an ordinary guy. But this guy, uh, he was, uh, grew up in a home of privilege. Uh, he was a rich kid. And uh, Giovanni Francesco Bernardoni, his parents were pretty wealthy. And so he was kind of a bratty kid. And so one of his biographers writes, he squandered his time terribly. Indeed, he outshone his friends in trivialities. I mean, he was a kid that just kind of had it all. He took it for granted. He was kind of just out there looking for adventure, looking for something new. So in 1202, uh, Giovanni went looking for an adventure. He wanted to find glory. He wanted to find money and fame and adventure. So he joined the military. He wanted to go and fight a battle. And pretty soon after he was on the battlefield, he was captured and thrown in prison. And during his year in prison, while he was on the phone with his dad to bail him out of jail, he had a come to Jesus moment, if you will. He became humble. He actually became very ill. And he prayed a lot. And he had these visions and these dreams. And he was kind of on his, about on his deathbed. In the midst of his, this jail cell, he was praying to God, and he heard the voice of Jesus say to him, Go repair my house, which, as you can see, is falling apart. It's in ruin. And that voice that spoke to Giovanni, it was not so much repair the house in terms of brick and mortar, but it was repair the house because it's falling apart. It was the church. Things were really broken in the church during this time. And God was calling Giovanni to go and bring renewal in the life of the church. And so he spent the rest of his life worshiping God and just looking and seeing everywhere he could the presence of Jesus all around him. Radical transformation. Sold everything, became a monk, and spent his time just being in God's presence. We know him as St. Francis of Assisi. And St. Francis, when I say St. Francis, we think, oh, he was that guy who had nothing, and he just kind of walked around, and he would um, spend time with the animals. And he would have this relationship, this peace and harmony with nature. And he was with the flowers and the birds of the air. Even the fox, the predators would come and they would have these, these nice conversations with the fox and the, and the lamb and, and the birds. And it was just this, ah, oh, St. Francis of Assisi. He's that guy that uh, sometimes we, we think of, we hear the words, Preach the gospel always, and when necessary, use words. Now, we don't know if St. Francis actually said that or not, but I think there's still truth 
in that saying, in that quote, if you will, that it's attributed to St. Francis. It's this idea of how we live our lives truly matters. Our words matter for sure, but how we love and care for others around us, that's what really speaks to people in understanding the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now fast forward about 750 years to Southern California, UCLA is the 1960s. There was a professor there, a psychology professor, uh, a, a guy by the name of uh, Albert uh, Merabian. And he, was, and he was studying and really wanted to understand communication and this whole idea of how do we communicate to people and what do people receive? What's, what's the most effective way of communicating as a psychologist so we can really kind of get inside people's minds and understand? And he said, you know, I think there's kind of three buckets here. One bucket is words. Uh, the second bucket is the tone or how we speak it. And the third bucket is our body language. And he came up with this idea after lots of research called the 738-55 rule. And what he discovered, uh, and we continue to talk about today, is that 55% of communication happens through body language. 38% of what our communication comes through our, our voice or through the tone in which we speak. And 7% of what we communicate to others is through actually our words. So 93% of our communication doesn't come out of our mouth in the specific words that we are speaking. See, St. Francis, he was way ahead of his time. He understood this long before the psychologist at UCLA was explaining this to the world. But I want to rewind 2,000 years ago from today, before Dr. Morabian, before St. Francis of Assisi, and look at another woman who really understood the power of communication, the power of interaction, these interpersonal skills without even using words. Looking at the story, of course, of Mary and Martha. And I think this story is so familiar to us, we sometimes miss the dynamics of what's going on interpersonally in the room. And so that's the lens we're going to look at this morning, looking uh, Luke 10, beginning with verse 38. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary. Now the place where they're going, we know this, it was Bethany, which is really close to Jerusalem. It's just a few miles. So if you were in Jerusalem today, you could literally just walk to Bethany. It would take you about 30, 45 minutes, uh, and you could just be in that village today. And as I said, uh, in that village uh, were Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, siblings in this particular home. And I just want to set the stage for all of us this morning to kind of think, get our heads around this a little bit. Have you ever had someone really important come to your house? Someone that you just couldn't wait for them to come and be in your midst? What's going on in your mind? We think about Mary and Martha and their anticipation. God is coming to their house that day. I mean, it's, it's a little tense. It's a little nerve-wracking. It's, it's exciting, right? 
I mean, this is just an, any old person who's coming to their home. It is God who is showing up for lunch. I mean, what do you serve God for lunch? Probably not like deviled ham or deviled eggs. I mean, there, there are certain things you just, yeah, that's a bad idea. Probably angel food cake, right? I mean, there, there's, I mean come on, let's get practical here. This, this, this is, uh, the, Jesus is coming. What are you going to do? You got to plan, you got to prepare, and, and we don't know how spontaneous this was, probably pretty spontaneous. God's coming. What are we going to do? Let's prepare for him to be there. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet to what he said, listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. So there's Martha, busy, scurrying, taking care. Martha is a woman of action. There's this contrast between Mary and Martha. And if Martha is a woman of action, Mary is a woman of adoration. And notice in the reading, Mary doesn't speak a single word. Not a single word. And I can about imagine what's going on in Mary's head. God has come to our house today. And I just want to sit at his feet. I just want to be present with him. I just want to listen to him. I don't know if he's ever going to come back to our house again. I got one moment to just sit here and be with him. And I just want to take a moment to just kind of say, you know, Mary and Martha had two very different reactions to God coming to their house. And I definitely don't want to say one response or reaction is bad and one is good. They're both good reactions for sure. Both are important. But I also want to remind you, there's a priority, there's an order. And the importance of sitting now so that we can stand later. When we fail to sit, we are prone to fall when we're standing. When we sit with Scripture, later on in the day, we can stand on His Word. And so there's this priority of first sitting, then standing. And this is why we talk about life groups and the importance of sitting in a circle, sitting together with Jesus in your midst so that you can go out from that circle, that group, and stand and face the challenges that you face day in and day out. Isaiah 40 says this, those that wait upon the Lord will renew their strength as if wing on wings as on eagles. They run but they don't grow weary. They walk because they don't faint, and they will not grow faint. When we wait upon the Lord, that allows us to stand, to fly, to go, to do, and be, and face all the challenges around us. So she came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. I wonder if you've ever said to God, God, don't you care? Don't you care what's going on in my life right now? That's what she's asking. God, don't you care? 
And I love this. Then she looks at Jesus and says, tell her to help me. She not only just asks Jesus a question, but then she tells Jesus what to do. I mean, that's pretty gutsy, don't you think? For Martha to do that, that's the kind of relationship she had with Jesus, bossing him around. Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered. I want to just pause here for a moment. This idea of speaking a name twice. Martha, Martha. When a name is spoken twice in Scripture, it's this idea of connection. It's this idea of intimacy. It's this idea of, Martha, I know you, you know me. Come on. We got a relationship here. And we see this over and over throughout Scripture. Abraham, he was getting ready to, you know, put a knife into his son Isaac. Abraham, Abraham. It's this idea of Abraham, you're my child, you're my son. I know you, I'm using you. Put down the knife, don't sacrifice your son Isaac. Then I think about Moses, there he is standing at the, in front of the burning bush. What does he hear? Moses, Moses, take off your sandals for you are standing on holy ground. It's this idea of intimacy, this idea of connection, this idea of relationship. And I think about that time when David, King David, lost his son Absalom. What did he cry out? Absalom, Absalom, because his heart was ripped out because he lost his child. The intimacy had been torn and so he cries out Absalom's name twice. Or I think about the time where Jesus came into Jerusalem. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. He's lamenting over the city that he loves because he's got this deep connection. So when Jesus looks at Martha and says, Martha, Martha, there's this deep and intimate relationship that he's reminding her of. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about so many things. And I wonder if you came to worship this morning worried and troubled about so many things. Scripture tells us, Jesus tells us, that work without worship leads to worry can't just work. We have to be in the presence of God. Action without adoration leads to aggravation. Standing. We got to first sit before we stand. We're going to be stressed. We have to sit and then stand so we can avoid the stress. There's an order to these things. And it's always the both and sitting in the presence of of Jesus. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Two responses to Jesus, and Mary has chosen the better. 
So I kind of want to close here um, and just kind of look at three lessons from Mary's life. We're going to just put Martha on the shelf for just a moment. Look at three lessons from the life of Mary and her response to Jesus as it relates to interpersonal gifts and all that's going on in the room. The first thing I want to lift up this morning, uh, Mary's uh, interpersonal skills are priorities. She gets the priority right. You know, oftentimes when we think about our, our Christian relationship or our discipleship journey, we've even heard this before, it's better to give than to receive, right? But in this moment, what Jesus is saying is, oh no, sometimes it's actually better to receive first before you give. Receive the presence of Jesus. That's the priority. And sometimes when I, I, I talk to people and they share with me all that's going on in their lives, I ask them, hey, what's, tell, tell me about what's going on. And after they kind of unload their worries and their struggles and their anxiety, I look at them and I say, well, how's your Bible reading going? What are you reading in Scripture these days? Oh. They've gotten the priority mixed up. We can't give to others what we don't first have. We can't invite people into a relationship with Jesus to experience his peace and rest if we don't first have it. And this is why it's so important to get the priority like Mary does, get it correctly. Jesus explains in the book of Revelation, this is the problem with the church in Ephesus, why they struggled so much. And so in Revelation 2, Jesus is speaking to the church. He says, I know your works, church in Ephesus. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake. And you have grown, not grown weary, but I have this against you. You have abandoned your first love. The priority absolutely matters in our lives. Sometimes when people share with me about all that's going on in their lives, I just I say, okay, tell me about how you're resting, how you're sleeping. Tell me about how you're exercising. Tell me about your social life and how you're around other people. And just kind of go on down the list, and then I say, tell me about your spiritual life. Because it's really important that we are receiving one of the things we're taught in seminary is 50% of pastoral care is self-care. If we are not sitting at the feet of Jesus and taking care of ourselves spiritually, physically, emotionally, all that, diet, all that stuff, we are no good to anyone else. And so it's important that we get the priorities right. Uh, many years ago when I first got into youth ministry in Hopkins, Minnesota, I was pretty stressed about moving into this role in a church at Gethsemane Lutheran Church in Hopkins, Minnesota. And I remember every Wednesday was kind of the same. I had never done confirmation class before. Wednesdays in confirmation class started at 6.30. And we lived just really close to the church. It was a five-minute walk uh, to the church. So I would get over to the church at 6.30 in the morning. I had a key to the church. I'd walk into the church... In 12, you know, 12 hours, I knew confirmation class was coming, and I was ill-prepared in my mind because the, the, the junior high kids were going to show up, and I'm like, oh, boy. And I would go into my office, I would close the door, and I would light incense, and I had a prayer kneeler, and I would just sit there 
and pray to God. And after some time and just breathing in the incense, in the quiet of the morning, I would open God's word and I would just pray to God, God, fill me. I can't do this. These teenagers are going to run me over tonight. And they still did. But it was just this time of filling up, being rejuvenated, getting ready for the day. And then after 30, 45 minutes, I would get up and I would just scurry like a madman for the rest of Wednesday, getting ready for those kids. But it, my time began in worship. In fact, there was a, an artist at the church, um, and I said to him, hey, would you make me a, a big banner that I can hang in my office? Matthew 6.33. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. So when, every day when I would walk into my office, that's what I saw, is Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Seek first the kingdom of God. It was this reminder. Get your priorities straight, Brian. Spend time at the feet of Jesus. Then do ministry. You know, oftentimes people think, man, it must be so you know, great to work in a church. You just get to hang out with Jesus all the time. It's a lot of scurrying. And I know pastors even that will spend so much time scurrying that they won't spend time at the feet of Jesus. But I just, through the years, I have had people pour into me saying, Brian, ministry flows out of being. What you do begins with who you are. Pay attention to who you are in Christ first. And that's just become a mantra for me uh, in ministry through the years. Ministry flows out of being. It's who we are first in Christ. And out of that comes an overflow so that we can do, so that we can go, and so then we can scurry. So the first one is priorities. The second uh, lesson I think Mary teaches us is position. Now, of course, she's at the feet of Jesus, right? She's at the feet of Jesus, but that's not actually the position I want to talk about. It's the position of her mouth. It's closed. See, I see this oftentimes in ministry. When something's going wrong, something's going bad, and the immediate response of Christians is to show up and start yakking, start quoting Bible verses. Oh, God just needs another angel in heaven. What? Super not helpful. Oh, God works all things for, for the glory of, you know, for the good of, for those who love him and care for him. What? Super not helpful. Don't quote a Bible verse at me when I'm going through something hard. In fact, I, I learned this many years ago. The, the more difficult, the more intense, the harder a situation is. So the, as you think about, you walk into a room, you walk into a space, you walk into a situation, the more stressful and difficult it is, the, the less you should talk. So if it's really, really bad, shut your mouth and just sit and listen and be present with people. They don't need your words. They need your presence. And I hear this so much in the church. And as I talk to people, they tell me about their church experience and like, ah, oh, I was going through this horrible thing and these Christians showed up and they started quoting Bible verses and yakking at me. We got to follow Mary's lead in her position, closing her mouth. This is why I talk about a ministry of presence all the time. We don't have to say much. St. Francis didn't, right? And Mary doesn't either. 
So priorities, position, and the third thing is posture. When I talk about posture, I'm not just talking about literally the posture of Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus or that posture uh, literally of just being at the feet of Christ, but I'm also talking metaphorically. It's how we carry ourselves in the presence of others. Uh, in the summer of 2020, uh, I did a, a, a three-week sermon series, and some of it was online and some of it was live outside. But the sermon series was called Essential Faith, and I used the image of a three-legged stool to really talk about what it means to be uh, faithful disciples of Jesus Christ. And I think all three are absolutely essential. And so the first uh, leg of the stool is orthodoxy, which literally means right believing or right doctrine. We got to get it right. I mean, God gave us his word, and, and so we should read it and study it, and we got to get it right. It's really, really important. But it's not just enough to read God's word, to study God's word, and to know God's word. Because the truth is, some of you know God's word. You are educated way beyond your level of obedience. Some of you know so much stuff about God's word. That's not your problem. You don't, it's not that you don't know enough. You're just not living enough of God's word. You're not obeying God's word. And this is where the second idea of the second leg of the stool is orthopraxy. It's right living. It's how God's word manifests itself in our lives, in our hands, in our, the ways in which we care for others in the world. But the third leg of the stool is every bit as essential as the first two legs. And this is called orthopathy. And we don't hear about this word much in the church. But ortho, meaning right or correct, and pathy, pathos, suffering. It's our posture. It's our tone. It's all that intangible stuff that goes on in our body language. The ways in which we are communicating to one another and to others out of love, and they can just see it on our face, or just the way we carry ourselves in our posture. Uh, many years ago, when I got into youth ministry, one of the greatest uh, understandings, phrases, sayings I learned came from Young Life. And as I, you know, I'm a seminary student. I knew a lot of stuff about the Bible. I, I you know, I, I, I could teach kids. I could explain things to kids. I could do stuff with kids. But this really changed me. Nobody cares about what you know until they know you care. And too often, people outside of the church, they know we know stuff. They just don't think that we care about them because we just blow right on by the care part. And this is this idea of orthopathy. It's our posture. It's how we carry ourselves. I preached on this a couple weeks ago, Palm Sunday. I know many of you were here. Remember that? We talked about the, the donkey. Some of you are jack donkeys as it relates to people around you. You know the right stuff. You might even be doing the right stuff. It's your attitude. It's your posture that's turning people off. And we just got to be honest with one another and talk about how important it is that we care and love one another because this is what Mary is doing. She's in this posture with Jesus. The Apostle Paul uh, writes this, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient 
bearing with one another in love. We've got to pay attention to our posture and how we are communicating love to other people way beyond our words and our actions. Just want to close with a, a, a quick story. A guy by the name of J.I. Packer. He was a theologian. He actually studied under C.S. Lewis. He wrote about uh, 50-some books. He was a professor at uh, Regent uh, uh, College and Seminary in Canada. He was one of the most eminent, you know, theologians of the last 100 years. And he wrote lots and lots of books. Uh, probably one of his most famous books is called Knowing God. So here's this theology professor, 40 years in the classroom, teaching students about scripture, what it means to understand God's word, what it means to practice God's word. But more than anything, what he taught students was the posture of why we do what we do. He says the purpose of theology, theology meaning the study of God, is doxology. The reason why we do this is to praise God, to serve God. We don't just learn stuff in Scripture so that just kind of intellectually stimulates us. We do this to worship and praise God. And so what, what uh, uh, J.I. Packer did... Every class before every lecture that he would deliver, his theology class, he would begin that hour singing the doxology. Is a reminder to the kids and to himself why we do what we do. It's to praise God. It's to just sit at his feet and worship him in a posture of glory. So I thought this morning we could just put our hands out and sing the doxology together. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him all creatures here below. Praise him above ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Lord, we thank you for the ways in which you invite us to be in relationship with one another. And God, we are so grateful, especially for those people around us who are extraordinarily gifted in interpersonal skills, interpersonal blessings. And God, we all need to grow in that area because this is how you communicate your love to us is through these connections. And so God, may we be a church. May we be a people. May we be a movement, God, that loves and serves you as we provide care and understanding and connection with those around us. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer.